Good morning, SBC. Welcome to Church Online. We hope that wherever you are joining us from this morning that you are well. In light with our government's recommendations to practice social distancing, we have cancelled all of our gatherings, big and small, for the foreseeable future. We would really encourage you to stay up to date with all the latest guidelines and to do your best to adhere to them. Our services are going to look different over the next few weeks, but our God remains the same and our mission as the Church of SBC remains to fill our city with the gospel and glory of Christ. We want to communicate well with you in these next few weeks, and to do that we need your current details. We sent out an email on Friday with some really important announcements. If you didn't receive it, please would you give us a call at the office so we can correct your information and make sure you stay informed in the weeks ahead. There was also a parent mail that went out to parents of children aged 3 to grade 6. If you need that mail and didn't get it, kindly contact us as well and we'll make sure we add you to that database. In this time as a church, we would like to call you to faithful Christian living. Please would you be faithful in prioritizing your one-on-one time with the Lord. Would you be faithful in joining us here on Sundays at 9am and being part of our online church community so that you can be equipped for works of service. Would you be faithful in giving in this season? There's no offering bags to send around this morning, but we are trusting that you will continue to support our ministries via EFT. There is still work to be done and you still have a job to being obedient to God and showing gratitude to Him for what He has blessed you with. And then would you be faithful in your Christian witness? Please use this as an opportunity to reach out and share the gospel and point people to Christ. They are in need of hope, they are in need of peace, and you can offer that. Our Chief Justice has encouraged us to pray for our nation on Wednesdays and Sundays. We want to use that opportunity and we hope that you will too. We're going to pray together in just a moment. But before we do that, I would just say that there is a link above this video that will lead you to some worship videos. Please feel free to use that after the sermon in response if you're joining us live at 9am. If you're tuning in later, you can always hit pause after the prayer and go and worship before the sermon if that's how you prefer to do things. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we still have the opportunity to gather around your word together as a church this morning. We trust that you will use this time powerfully. Lord, we want to pray for our nation today. We want to thank you that you are sovereign over our nation, that while things might seem out of control around us, we know that you are ultimately still in control. And in that knowledge, we can have peace. Lord, we thank you for our leaders. Thank you that they are taking decisive action to protect us in this time. And we trust that you will continue to give them wisdom in the weeks ahead. Lord, we pray for our country and we ask that you would give us hearts that are selfless in this season. Would we not succumb to panic? Would we not um, succumb to self-preservation instincts in this time, but would we choose to exercise wisdom and care and love for our neighbors? Lord, as a church, would you show us how we can best serve our city in this season? Would you best show us how we can fill our city with the gospel and glory of Christ, how we can be intentional of loving up, loving in and loving out, even if it looks in uh, ways that we are not used to? Lord, we submit ourselves to you, Lord. We ask you to lead us and guide us in this season. We commit the rest of this morning to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Sterling. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe. I'm one of the elders and staff, and it's a wonderful privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. We're going to be in Numbers 13 and 14, uh, two chapters. It's a little long for us to read this morning. So the plan is for us to retell the story, for me to retell the story. 
um, and then as we go through the sermon to uh, stop and look at a few parts of the text that will apply to us uh, this morning. So the text that we find ourselves in, we see that the Israelites have just arrived at the foot of the promised land. God has miraculously taken them out of Egypt, led them all the way there and has told uh, Moses to go and take the land that he had promised uh, to Abraham hundreds of years before. He tells Moses that he needs to send in spies to go and spy out the land before he takes it. So what Moses does is he chooses 12 of the very best men, one from each tribe of Israel, and he sends them in for 40 days. And he gives them the clear instruction. What they need to do is they need to go in, they need to eye out the land, see if it's good, check out the produce, make sure and see whether or not the produce is good or bad to determine whether the people are strong or weak, uh, to check out the cities, to see if they're fortified or if they are weak. And so after 40 days, the uh, people arrive back. They've uh, checked out the land. They've got between one, uh, two of them. They've carried in a massive, massive bunch of grapes and they call all the people of Israel to come and hear the reports. And so the the 12 spies start off really well. Uh, They give a great report that the land is fantastic. Look at this produce that we've uh, brought back, um, that really this land is a land of milk and honey. But it's not long before the report uh, takes a bit of a turn. Uh, the 10 of the uh, 12 spies start to give a bad report. They start to say, but man, the people are huge. They're massive. They're giants. The cities are fortified. They're strong. And really, we are not going to be able to take them. They are too big. We cannot go in and fight them. At this point, the crowd starts to get a bit rowdy. And uh, we see one of the heroes of the story pitches up. His name's Caleb. He hushes the crowd, which would have been quite a feat to do itself. And immediately he says, no, we must go and take the land now. God has given it to us. What are we talking about this? Let's just go in and take it right this very moment. But those other 10 uh, uh, spies weren't having that. They pretty much go, that's not going to happen. If we go in there, these giants are going to take us out. They are like uh, giants. We are like grasshoppers to them. They are massive. This is not a good idea. And as the crowd in the congregation of Israel hear this report, man, they respond really badly. They start to cry and weep. And they start to say some of the most ridiculous things like, why has God brought us out here? Has he brought us out here to die uh, at the sword? Um, he, he's led us out here so that our women and children would be come like prey to these people. And even go as far as it would be better for us to go back uh, to Egypt. And so they look among themselves and say, we need to choose a leader to take us back. And they, uh, the Moses, uh, Aaron, um, Moses' brother, Caleb and Joshua fall down at the feet of the people of Israel. And they say, please, please trust God. He's going to come through, with, through for us. He will deliver this land into our hands. And the people don't like what they're saying. So they pick up stones to stone them. At this point, God breaks into the story himself. And his presence pours into the tabernacle to such a degree that the people stop. And God speaks to Moses and there's a long conversation that takes place between them uh, and Moses pretty much stops the hand of God from destroying the people. Um, But then what God does say, he says, as long as I live, my plan will still happen. I will still achieve my purpose, Um, but it's just not going to be with these people. Anyone under the age of over the age of 20 will not see the promised land. They will not make it in. Only those under the age of 20 and Joshua and Caleb. Quite an incredible story, really. 
Um, it's, a, it's a story of uh, two different types of responses to a tough situation. It's one, the mass multitude responding in fear, and others responding in faith. And we, though not fighting, uh, facing literal giants, uh, we have an enemy in which we're looking at, this COVID-19 crisis. And uh, there is an option uh, for us. We can either respond in fear or in, in faith. We can respond in fear to the, uh, as we face death or as we face sickness or as we face economic instability, um, as we're wondering where our next paycheck is going to become or the idea of being lonely. Or we can be like Joshua and Caleb as a church who respond in faith. And so how do we do that? Well, that's our hope uh, this morning, that we will be able to do that. The first thing I want us to notice, though, that uh, is that God's uh, comments about Caleb. He says this in Numbers 14, verses uh, 24. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me. What's that different spirit? Well, it's faith. And what does faith in action look like? It results in obedience. And so if we are going to be a people that are faithful, we need to act in obedience to God. And when faith rises, so we see that other things rise with it. But the opposite can be true. Uh, opposite is true as well when we talk about fear. But what does fear look like? Well, we can see that there is a spirit of fear. We see it uh, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. And fear, as in the story, can grip an entire nation, and in our case, a world. And it can grip you and me. And our, our goal is not to be fearful. But the challenge about fear is that it manifests itself in a variety of different ways. And often it is difficult to identify uh, the manifestations of fear. And so how, do we, uh, how are we able to notice that? Well, I think this text gives us a bit of a clue. It says here what fear isn't. It's not power. It's not love. And it's not self-control. And so if we look at the opposites of that, we might be able to make sure that we guard against certain manifestations of fear in our lives as Christians and as a church. And so let's look at the first one. The first one is opposite power. It's impotency. Often fear results in a sense of impotency, uh, powerlessness. We feel like we just can't do anything. It saps our confidence. We see that in the story. This, uh, people have, uh, have gone and seen the, and heard the report. And as a result, they feel powerless to be able to go and do what God has called them to do, to take this promised land. And so often we find ourselves in a similar situation. Maybe what, for those of you who struggled heights or you've seen someone who has a fear of heights, you know when they're on a really tall escalator, they grab onto the side and they hold on, unable to move until they get to a safe height near the bottom and then able again. And so in a very similar way, their danger of fear is we feel we are powerless, unable to do anything. But we as a church need to guard ourselves against fear. We are not to be and have a spirit of fear, but rather one of power. We are to make sure in moments like this, what are we doing is living a life that is confident in God, living a life that is moving powerfully uh, for the gospel. Because the reality of the matter is the great commission to go out and make disciples and to love this world and to make sure that we extend the gospel in God's kingdom is still a call on our lives as a church. Now, we still have to do that in the legal framework and bounds that we've been given, and we need to do that wisely. But we cannot let fear paralyze us. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting better at this as a church, uh, looking out for our neighbors and making sure that we act in power. 
The second thing that we see that fear isn't, it isn't love, it's a mean-heartedness. So often in fear, what happens is that we become a people that are self-preserving. Um, we worry about ourselves more than anyone else. Uh, let me give you a bit of an illustration. My friend and I, Max, we are about, oh man, in grade seven. We were heading off to a party in Ganubi. Didn't have a car, obviously. Uh, was walking down the avenues about two or three kilometers away from where we stayed. And as we were heading, we were going to arrive too early. So we went a different route in Ganubi uh, in the avenues. And I remember taking a corner and the guy was reversing out of his uh, driveway and his two massive dogs came flying out. It straight at us. And uh, self-preservation kicked into me because I knew I was faster than Max. So what I did is I ran straight to the wall before he could, thinking if I get up there, he will, uh, they will get him. Um, and as I climbed, jumped up and started pulling myself up and started to move my leg over to get my leg over, I felt Max's hands grip onto my leg and pull me down in between him. Self-preservation. But don't worry. I'm not just throwing Max under the bus. I started using my free leg to kick him so that I could get away. Self-preservation. And the danger is that uh, in the midst of fear, we as a church start acting inwardly. That we are a church that acts in fear and only think about us and ourselves. But the call of the gospel and the call of Christ is that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We are to make sure that we are a people that look outwardly, that we take care of our neighbors, that we uh, see those who are sick. We will not stop as a church in this part of even though we are not meeting, to be the church, to go out and to love like Christ has asked us to love. It is important that we do not let fear stop that again. It needs to be done wisely in the legal framework given to us, but we've got to think creatively on how to do that. The second thing that we, a third thing that we see, sorry, is that there's an irrationality that comes with this opposite of sound mind. Man, when we are fearful, we make dumb, dumb decisions. I don't know if, about you. I certainly can remember a few examples. I'll spare you them. I'm a bit embarrassed. But there were times when I was super fearful and made decisions out of it. And it led to stupid results. And so often I'd look back and go, man, why did I do that? That was really, really dumb. And it was because of fear. And in the same way, we as Christians have got to make sure that we represent what a sound mind looks like in the midst of chaos. The world is going to make some dumb decisions. We pray that they make good ones. But we as has set an example of what a sound mind looks like in the midst of fear. But how do we do that? Easier said than done. Well, we need faith. We need faith like Caleb and Joshua. We need to make sure that that becomes something that we strive for. What can give us this faith? Well, firstly, faith is secured, uh, is secure in the light of who God is. We see in, in, in chapter 14, when God starts to rebuke uh, the people, uh, that what they do is they, uh, God comes to them and he says, he starts off with saying, in light of this, in light of who I am, as I live, he says, as I live, I will go and do this. I want you to notice that God doesn't start off first with what he is doing. He starts off first with who he is. Why? Because the biggest deficiency of our faith is not so much that we have a poor expectation of what God will do, but rather our failure to recognize who he really is.
And so God here is lifting the eyes of Israel. He said, look upon me. Take your eyes off your current situation and look to me as I live, as I live, the God who has spoken creation to being, as I live, the God who holds the universe in his hands, as I live, the one who has named the stars, who makes nations rise and nations fall, who does not sleep or slumber, who he has, was at the beginning of time and who will be there at the end of time, as I live, the God of mercy, of grace, and of a steadfast, unconditional, perfect love towards you as I live he makes them lift their eyes to him and it's so important because that's when our stability of our faith comes in you see our faith is most stable when it is centered on who Jesus is faith urgently needs to know not so much what Jesus will do or what promise he has made for this or that situation but in who Jesus is is. Let me say that one more time. Faith is most stable when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not so much what Jesus will do or what promise he has made for this or that situation, but who Jesus is. We need to know more than anything else who this wonderful God is, because when we know how great and awesome he is, when we know his characteristics are mad, faith will be stable. It will grow. It is the place we need to strive for. And you see, we are in an incredibly unique situation, one that I certainly haven't gone through in my lifetime and God willing will never go through again. But it is a unique situation that gives us a unique opportunity to know Jesus in a unique way. And how sad it would be if we have to go through this COVID-19 virus, a pandemic, and come out the other side knowing exactly the same of God that we did beforehand and we don't know anymore. But the opportunity for us is to intentionally seek to know God better to intentionally know him as our provider, to intentionally know him as our comforter, our protector, to intentionally know him as our companion. And well, again, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but scripture is the primary way in which we're going to find this. We've been speaking about this as a church for this whole year. How are you doing in God's word? It is his primary revelation to us about who he is. Seek after him, pursue him in that word, get to know him, because in that we see a solidity of faith. The next thing is faith grows in light of uh, God's unchanging plan. So he goes on to speak a little more. He goes on to say, as I live, but then he goes on to say, I will achieve what I have planned to achieve. I will do what I have planned to do and I will get it done. God is in control, even in the midst of giants. He has not uh, uh, lost control, lost control. He has not in any way lost his sovereignty. He has not in any way started to become a person that is fumbling or trying to scramble to make things right and to pull the right strings so that his plan come, come into place. No, he is completely calm. His hand is completely stable and he is in control. A.W. Tozer talking about God's control in the midst of difficult moments says the following. He says, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. And scripture echoes this. This isn't just a theologian making this up. Scripture echoes it. We see it throughout different parts of scripture. Psalm 33 verse 11 says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations stands forever. His heart, his plans of his heart for all generations. And again, after Job, who has suffered much Much personal loss has gone through far worse than any of us have ever gone through. Yet at the end, when he repents before God in in Job 42 verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
absolutely wonderful that God is completely in control. And, and the faith starts to arise in this, that when we realize that the unchanging plan of God is for your good, it's for our good. It's his good plan is for your good. We see this in Romans 8 verse 28. It says, and, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God's plan is good for you even in the midst of this. And his plan will not change. His good plan will not change. And his good posture towards you will not change either. It is absolutely incredible. And when we understand that, faith starts to rise. But the problem with fear is this. Fear starts to make us doubt the goodness of God. And, uh, when we fear, we doubt the goodness of God towards us. When things to be fa- seem to be falling apart and we start uh, falling apart, we start to doubt the fear of God. Uh, we see this with the Israelites. They uh, start to say crazy things like this. Why is the Lord bringing us out of the land? To fall by the sword, our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Egypt! To go back to Egypt, to enslave them. Who beat them if they didn't do their work? Egypt, who took their, uh, who, they took their male children under the age of two, newborns, and tossed them into the Nile River to kill them. Egypt, who did not fed them well, who, who treated them badly and treated them as slaves. Egypt! They would rather go back there. And they start to doubt the goodness of God, that God would rescue them through sovereign power and and his display, take care of them uh, in the land with manna, make sure they have water, protect them through the day with a cloud and give them warmth with fire, with cloud at night. This God would suddenly abandon them? Ridiculous. But it's because fear has come in. To doubt the goodness of God. But scripture shows us so many times that God's goodness for us is even in the midst of trial. We see this in Nahum 1 verse 7. It says, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. When? A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in. Oh, he intimately knows us. It's not this stronghold that randomly protects us, but he knows us. He cares for us. Even in the midst of trouble, he is our stronghold who embraces us because he's good towards you. We see it again in in, in Psalm 34 verse 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is this appeal by God to those who are going through fearful moments and you're doubting God's goodness, man, the appeal to you is to come and taste the goodness of God. Come and have it. And what will be, what will be the result? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There will be incredible and incredible amounts of comfort and joy, even in the midst of suffering and hardship that's going on in your life. You'll be content and have joy because of God's goodness towards you. Isn't that great? Lastly, and we'll finish off quickly with this, that faith grows in light of what God has done. Man, faith grows in what light God has done. When we hear the story, it seems a bit ridiculous. It seems a bit crazy that uh, the Israelites would have gone through all that they've gone through, that they would have seen God's powerful hand defeating one of the strongest nations in the world through 10 plagues, being crossed the Red Sea, being given manna, seeing God's power move on Mount Sinai. Yet all these things they would still go and doubt the goodness of God. But the reality of the matter is we have gone through a greater exodus than they have. We were once a slave to sin, powerless, unable to help ourselves. And God had one plan. It was the only plan. It was the only way. And that was to send Jesus to come and take on the form of man. That is incredible. 
so that he might live a perfect life and live the life that we could not live, so that he might die on the cross and take our sin, so that he might pay the punishment of our sin, which was death. And Jesus would die, and three days later he would rise again, in doing so, defeat sin and death, so that we would be set free from the slavery of sin. And what would be, de- what would be done there? Not just leave us in a, a freedom, but bring us into his family as children of God. And then instill in us God the Holy Spirit, who would be with us always on the side of eternity. Incredible how silly it is to think that God has abandoned us. He has not, church. He will not abandon you. His posture towards you is always good. He does not change. His love for you is steadfast. And he is always good towards you. And you can cling on to your faith knowing that he is good. His character is unchanging. You can cling on to your faith that he has a good plan for you. And you can know by looking at the cross that he is for you. I'm going to leave you with the words of this old hymn. It says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Father, we're incredibly grateful that you love us. That you are unchanging. That you are a God who is a God that is in control, even in the midst of chaos. And that you are a God who uh, has a good plan for us. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would not be a church that responds in fear, but responds in faith. That we would love others well, that we would act in confidence knowing the gospel will go forward. And Lord, that we will be a people that display a sound-mindedness. Help us, we pray. Help us to have a spirit of faith. Fix our eyes upon Christ. Make sure that our times in your word are healthy and strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.